Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful future exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life. And for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. In today's episode, our guest is a leader in helping women entrepreneurs with startup and growth strategy. With his M&A background, he's had his hands in several industries and still does. We're going to hear his story of his entrepreneurial path right after we hear from our show sponsors, Sunbelt Business Advisors, JAK CPAs, and Keys Strategies. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at sunbeltminnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth. Because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. For business owners, it can be overwhelming to start planning a transition or exit strategy, but it's so important to avoid unwanted outcomes and unexpected tax bills. The CPAs at JAK, John A. Knutson & Company, can guide you and help make sense of the numbers. Our firm was established over 90 years ago, and we've assisted countless companies with ownership transitions. Leaving your business is a process that takes time, so contact us today to discuss your situation. Visit our website at jakcpa.com. That's jakcpa.com. Hey, Poised for Exit listeners, let me tell you about an exciting new program that I produced for business owners called Business Transition Readiness Program. The Business Transition Readiness Program, or BTR for short, is an online, self-paced, cost-effective way for you, the business owner, to gain an understanding of what exit planning is, who's involved, and how to get started with the process. Learn more about this timely program now at poisedforexit.com. Use promo code BTR50 to receive $50 off your course registration. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here today with Lucas Root, founder, speaker, instructor, and strategist. Lucas, welcome to Poised for Exit. Julie, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great to have you on the show. This is going to be a good topic. We've not um, really talked a whole lot about uh, women entrepreneurial um, you know, support systems and um, endeavors and things like that. And I know that you've got some really cool things you're working on to support people like me. And so I'm excited to hear that. But before we get into that, I'd just like to have you share with us, how did you get started? What inspired you to become an entrepreneur? Because it's, you know, let's face it, it's not for everybody. It is not for everybody. I agree. <laughs> right. I had a, um, I had a, a mentor, a friend of my father's who sort of took me under his wing when I was 16. This, this is actually true. And uh, he was a real estate investor and he put me to work as a carpenter and it made good money. 
you know, making good money working for this real estate investor caught my attention. So when I went to college, instead of paying rent, I bought the house that I was going to live in and rented it out to other college roommates. It could have been a, a phenomenal failure, but it worked out, thankfully. Renting to college kids is an interesting challenge, no matter how you cut it. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. I got out of college. I resold it for, for zero gain, but but all of the mortgage payments that I made that would have been rent, they all turned into equity. I didn't make any money on it, but I got all my money back or not all of it, but some of my money back. When do you ever rent and get your money back? It was yeah. amazing. It is. Yeah. I got the bug. <laughs> let's, let's, you know, there's no better way to put it. I got the bug. So um, coming out of college, I went to Wall Street. I worked on Wall Street for 17 years. I was doing mergers and acquisitions. And I always had a side thing. I'm, I I was in real estate for a while. I, I did little side consulting projects. I worked for a, an apple orchard and a vineyard up in in central Vermont, both of them. I, I always had my my toes sort of in in other waters, let's say. And when it was time to leave Wall Street, and unambiguously, it was time you know, I, I knew that there was a path out. I didn't really have one mapped out, but I knew that there was a path to get out because again, I don't, I'd always been partially, at least entrepreneurial. Sure. And I say partially because I worked for the man, so to speak. I think it's important though, to get your feet wet working for other people so that you can kind of make mistakes on someone else's turf instead of your own. I don't know. Plus, you know, you learn a lot, not that you don't provide value because you do. I like it. And I was playing in a really, really big pond. <laughs> Yeah. I was no matter how big I got, um, I was always going to be a small fish in a big pond there, which is a good thing. There's lots and lots you can learn when you're in a small fish in a big pond. Tell me about your your experience on Wall Street. You said that you were involved in a lot of merger and acquisition transactions. So were you working for an M&A firm or were you involved in a large corporation that was in, you know, involved in a lot of acquisition? T tell us more about that. Yep. All of the above. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. I worked for most of the big banks, the really well-known banks that, you know, put up splashy news about mergers or acquisitions, Goldman Sachs, I worked for them. Um, but I also worked for all the others too. I worked for Credit Suisse. I worked for Merrill Lynch. I worked for Citibank for, and just sort of bouncing around in the, in the mergers and acquisitions area. And, you know, 17 years is a long time. You can, you can really get pretty deep in an organization before you move on over that period of time. I was always in operations. So I did the, you know, I started out as an analyst. I worked up to project manager. I was, um, as I was leaving, I was director of strategic operations for these mergers, where I was the person who was deciding how these companies get fit together. What organizations, what um, what COEs, where are the people going to sit? What are the, you know, what are, what are the processes and procedures that we're going to preserve? What are the systems that we're going to maintain? I was the one that had to figure all that stuff out, which was amazing. Oh my gosh. I, I'm, I'm just um, imagining how much you learned about business operations in doing that. And then, you know, honestly, we know this, I'm sure you know better than anybody because we did it, that integrations do fail, especially when there's no plan. So having you there to put the plan together makes tons of sense because otherwise, how do you make it fly? That's right. It was a it was a great job. I got to hang out with really, really smart people who have decades of experience building the business that we're now, you know, dismantling and, and rebuilding. Mm -hmm. And I got to understand why they built things the way that they did. Because it turns out that the why matters almost as much as the how and what. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's one thing that hasn't been dialed in very well in the past. I've been around for a long time. 
as an entrepreneur and as an advisor now for the last 12 years. And so mm-hmm. I think that the why and finding, you know, the purpose of, of why you're doing what you're doing and core values and things like that really drives everything else. So what I find is when businesses actually have that dialed in, they flounder less. Have you found that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So fast forward, let's talk about this women entrepreneurial initiative that you're spearheading. I'm interested in hearing more about that. I love it. Thank you. This is absolutely passion work for me. And also timely. I, I don't I don't know if you saw, but but some of your readers or listeners will have seen this. Serena Williams just announced that she's leaving tennis to focus full time on her venture capital firm. Isn't that amazing? It's so cool. And part of the reason why she started her venture capital firm and part of the reason why she's focused now full time on it is because of the fact that in these are real statistics, although it should be a joke. Mm-hmm. It very much is not. In 2015, 5% of VC funds went to female founders. 5%. I'm not surprised. I actually did a presentation on the lack of capital. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. Yeah. What else? In 2020, that number was down to 2.3%. This year, it's under 2%. Why? We're going the wrong way. And 5% should be a joke. I mean, 5% should be the thing that we say, no, 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 come on, that can't be true. Exactly. And, and it's getting worse, not better. And Serena, like me, Serena saw those numbers and said, this can't be. This is completely unacceptable. There, there's all the reasons why this is not okay. It turns out women entrepreneurs, believe it or not, for all of you listeners, believe it or not, female entrepreneurs have a higher chance of success. They have a higher probability of return of capital to their investors. They reach unicorn status. They, the, the female CEOs, there are 18 in the top Dow 500 companies. 18 of them are female CEOs. They outperform their peers by 32%, not 3%. And let's be honest, shareholders should be excited by 3%. Shareholders should move mountains to go after a 3% increase. These women outperform their peers by 30%. And why is that? Why do we only have, is it, is it because women don't have the connections? Is it because women don't have the confidence? I mean, these are some of the things that I've researched too, but it's been a while. So I'm wondering like, are those still the same, you know, obstacles that, that women are facing? Sure. That's part of it. But, but let's be honest, those are symptoms. Those are not the problem. The problem is that we have an entire culture built around maintaining what we believe is the pathway to success for workers, for executives, for directors, right? The board of directors and for shareholders, every single one of us, men and women, all of us are subscribed to this belief that we need to maintain a pathway to success. So what is your answer to that? Tell us about what you're trying to do to change that. Yeah. Um, all of the things. I'm I'm throwing the spaghetti at the wall because I, I don't care. Something's got to stick. Um, I am personally mentoring every female CEO that, that comes to me and says, yes, please help me. Okay. Um, and I have a, a small list of those. I'm, I am entreating. I'm, I'm asking every single person who has money in their bank account to direct that money the way I, the way I want it directed. Invest in women, stop investing in men. Not because okay. men aren't worth your attention, but but invest in women. What are the avenues for them to be able to do that? Have you got, you know, investment options that you recommend? Because I know that there are funds out there, people like Serena Williams, 
who are trying to help women entrepreneurs get their businesses off the ground. So I think it's just a matter of knowing, right? There's a lot of awareness issues. People, um, Mm -hmm. investors maybe would want to be um, a part of all of that. So, okay. So tell us more about that. Yes, absolutely. All businesses go through funding cycles. So at any given time, I have two, three, four different businesses that I'm in contact who need funds. It's hard to tell at any given time which those are going to be, but but reach out, please, and I will help you find them. I'm also in contact with funds that are in a various raising stages for for initiatives that they're interested in. And, and those same funds have similar values as I do, not because they necessarily have a, you know, quote unquote belief or a mission or a goal. They just invest in what works and women yeah. CEOs return better. So they invest there. So these funds that are in different raising stages, what's your role with them? Then are you on the hunter side of things where, you know, they pay you to try to, you know, bring opportunities their way? Is that, and, and your focus is for, female entrepreneurs or tell me more about that. Right now I have no profitability strategy for any of this. So you're doing this because it's important to you, but you also yeah. have other revenue streams. I've, I I've, you know, we've talked and I know about your work and stuff as a speaker and instructor and stuff like that. So this starting this out in a grassroots format, which is sounds like you're doing, um, mm-hmm. no pun intended with your last name with <laughs> right. But totally I, appropriate. <laughs> it is totally appropriate. Yeah. But I mean, you could really make this be something. So starting it out as like a, you know, give back type of initiative, but then building it maybe into something that actually could be based on your, your experience and, you know, your background, it would make sense to me that you, that you make it be something. I would love to have it be something Mm -hmm. and, and maybe it will make me money and maybe it'll, it'll make money for a foundation that I direct elsewhere and maybe it'll never make me money and all of those are okay. And you're connected to foundations. Let's talk about the foundations that you're aware of, because I know that those can be resources as well for women entrepreneurs um, in particular who are, might be looking for grant money to start their business. Tell me about yeah. that. I work with a couple of different angel groups. Um, the, the Alaska Angel Group uh, is one that's we're you know, we're very close. In order for that to be interesting as a founder, you have to live in or have founded your business in Alaska. It's rather limited, but you know, as I continue to go down this path, I'm just going to have more resources coming into me and, and through me. Yeah, I think that's awesome. So tell me about your team um, as you're getting this off the ground. Who do you have supporting you and how are you going about getting the word out? Shows like this, shows like you. Um, I'm, I'm talking about it everywhere I can. I'm talking about it to everyone who will listen. I preface most of my outreach on LinkedIn and, and uh, I, I have you know live videos and speeches on my other social media platforms. To, to the extent that I'm able, I'm, I'm filling the air with this focus in order to be able to continue to drive this message, right? To, to continue to be able to bring um, other people's attention to this because it, it really matters to me. It doesn't look, it doesn't just matter to me because I, I like women. Like, don't, don't, don't misunderstand this. Um, oh no, I get it for sure. I'm a, I, I, I think people need to pay attention to this because people are like, yeah, so what, you know, this person gets funded, that person doesn't get funded. How does that affect me? Well, I, I want to tell you how I'm a participant in the market. And so are you. And so is everyone who's listening. You're all participants in this market, whether you're founders and and entrepreneurs or working, um, you're buying products, you're at the mercy. And there's no different way to say this. You're at the mercy of the options that are available to you. And Mm -hmm. you should want, you should like really deeply want 
better options to continue coming into the market. And the place that you're going to see the best options are from groups that are traditionally underinvested in. So women, strongly, uh, minorities, and um, countries that don't have a strong middle class. And yeah. those are the places where you're going to see the the really cool technologies, the really groundbreaking ideas. It's going to come from people who, for better or worse, don't look like me. <laughs> no, I get it. I understand completely. And I agree with you. I know that uh, raising awareness is the first thing, right? Honestly, I, I gave a presentation like this not too long ago to a large organization. And we were talking about this very issue. And it was... It was hard because so many of the people who were part of the of the presentation had questions that I thought that they should already have the answers to, but they were just so uh, taken aback by these statistics, some of which you just cited, mm-hmm. around uh, the fact that there just isn't access to capital for women entrepreneurs like there should be, and women have lots of great ideas, and like you said, their uh, investments tend to be more sound and more profitable. So. We definitely want to keep our eye on that and keep us posted on what you have going on in that in that arena. But when we that when we think about like things that you've accomplished, I know that you've got a lot of the things you're working on, and this is a brand new thing. But with your work in M and A, and you know you're speaking now, you got some online courses, which is groovy. I do too. I think that's the best way to get out there and get your knowledge out there. But what what are some of the things that have really impacted your success, like? Is it, is it a process? Is it a way of thinking? Let's talk about that for a second. I would start with a way of thinking. My approach to every single scenario, and I, I think this is a very healthy approach. My approach to every single scenario, no matter what it is, no matter how it affects me, is what is it that I'm supposed to learn from this? Or what is it that I can learn from this? Some scenarios turn out beautifully, and I still take a moment and, and ground myself and quiet myself and say, what can I learn from this? Even though it went exactly the way I wanted it to, what can I learn from this? And when things go poorly, what can I learn from this? I think that that mindset, that grounding in sort of approaching that all situations bring a gift into our lives, all of them, even ones that don't go well. What can I learn from this? How can I turn this into something that's better for me? That's where I start. And then from a process perspective, it's weird. And I, I mean this in the in the best way. It's weird that the simpler things are, the more valuable they are to share. It turns out that the really simple stuff, not the complex stuff, the really simple stuff is the stuff that people want to hear, they want to learn about, they want to get into. So from a process perspective, what I ask myself is, what is it that I know that is absolutely base level simple, like base level? If it cannot be simplified more, that's a thing that I should start talking about. Yeah, I think that when it gets to be really complicated, people get kind of turned off by that, right? Yeah, it it does. It makes it less applicable when it's complicated. You know, not everybody thinks the same. Not everybody has um, the same um, way of being able to absorb information. We all have yeah. different filters and and some of us just learn differently. So I agree. I think that simple is good. Um, keep it simple, stupid, right? The KISS method. My dad always used to tell me that when I was growing up. Yeah. Okay. So let's go. Let's talk about a tough lesson. One more. I, One more. I think, okay. I think this is real gold. Okay. Um, All right. That With me, nothing is proprietary. Nothing. I give away absolutely everything. 
my general presumption, and I think that it, this is useful for everyone to hear, my general presumption is that knowledge today has no value. None. Okay. The, the world is so overfilled with knowledge, there's no value left in it. There are three things that have value. Okay. Stories, the narrative that we talk about, the stories, the way that we bring knowledge into us, right? And that's why you pay for a training, because the way I talk about something is different from the way someone else is talking about it. I agree. It's great. So stories, mm -hmm. execution, mm -hmm. we pay for execution and risk mitigation. Now, I don't sell risk mitigation and there's no pathway for me to sell risk mitigation. Mm -hmm. um, no, you know, most people don't actually sell like there. There aren't very many places you can buy risk mitigation. Um, insurance is risk mitigation. Uh, large consulting companies are risk mitigation. Like if you think about the world in that perspective, risk mitigation is a hard thing to sell, which means mostly what we're going to be selling are stories and experiences or execution. Right. Yeah, it's really all about who you are and how you deliver. Um, yeah, it's I agree that it's not really necessarily the knowledge or, um, you know, whatever those educational bits are that everyone, you know, is kind of sharing in certain industries. It's it's what you do with it. I used to say, um, I yeah. still say too, you know, that that ignorance on fire is more valuable than knowledge on ice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I don't, you know, I don't care how much you know, if you're not using it, it's worthless. That's right. And, and for the person who has um, lots of fire, you know, um, ignorance can be taught. And but motivation really can't. Mm hmm. So um, I think it's the drive and the purpose and the way that you deliver that. Um, and it sounds like that's what you're doing in your work. So, you know, kudos to you. That's, Thank you. that's fantastic, Lucas. I it's wanted to say. It's taken um, me a long time to figure this all out. <laughs> yeah, well, you're still really young. So you have a long way to, to go, I think, in, in making an impact and doing good work. And having the foundation that you've already established for yourself is really amazing. So. Any final bits of advice or things that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yes. The two questions we didn't get to, and, and it's okay that we didn't, but were, you know, a story of failure and um, big, a big recommendation on how to move forward and how to succeed. And um, I'm sure that your listeners have heard this a thousand times, but now they can hear it from my voice, right? And in with my inflection, get started, get, just get started. All of my biggest failures Truly, all of my biggest failures come from not doing something. None of them come from doing something wrong. Get started. Um, you can you can adjust. You can pivot. You can fine tune on the way. But if you try to do all your fine tuning up front, you're going to be disappointed. You're going to be disappointed because it took you too long to get there. You're going to be disappointed when you finally get in and get started and realize that that fine tuning was not necessary because you don't know what your customers really want until you start interacting with them. Yeah, we definitely can overthink. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there's a saying, too, that um, back in the day when Zig Ziglar was still around, he used to say, "Oh, I love Zig Ziglar." Yeah, ah. I know. he was he was an amazing guy. He just said, "If you wait for all the lights to be green before you leave the house, you will never leave." Mm -hmm. In other words, don't overthink. Right, do the best planning that you can, but there's no guarantees, and you got to be able to find new routes. Right, and and it sounds like that's what you're doing, and that's what you teach, and that's awesome. Thanks so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it, Lucas. For our listeners, thanks for joining us. Please do review, subscribe, and follow us. And uh, check us out on Poised for Exit, where all of our other podcasts live. 
We're on all the major platforms. We really do appreciate your listening. Hey, everybody. There's an exciting event coming up October 6th in the Twin Cities. Mark your calendars for the fourth annual Owners Forum hosted by the Twin Cities Metro Area Chapter of the Exit Planning Institute. Our keynote speaker will be Super Bowl champion Ben Utecht. Ben is going to speak to us about how a strong company culture drives enterprise value. You won't want to miss this. For more information, check out the link in our show notes for this episode. Join Julie Keys again next time for another episode of Poised for Exit.